Yo, yo, my name is Big Lou, and you are now listening to Go Produce. We are the show that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. If you want to learn more about how you can build a lucrative career through public relations and as an author, then this episode is for you. Thank you, Factor, for funding part of this initiative. Today's theme is what path led this lad from the streets of Eglinton Avenue West, where Toronto hip hop was born to the new professional music university degree program at Ryerson University? Our guest today is Mr. Dalton Higgins. He is a leading Toronto-based PR strategist and publicist and author of six books, a festival producer, a national magazine award-winning print journalist and TV radio podcast personality, and Ryerson University's music professional in residence. His active roster includes clients that have won a wide range of awards and accolades, including the Grammy Awards, the BET Awards, the Mercury Prize, the Emmy Awards, the Juno Awards, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Dalton Higgins. Hey, how's it going? We're doing spectacular, Dalton. Thank you so much for being here. I want you to know that we do very much appreciate your time, so let's make the most of it and go produce. Sound good? Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. It's an honor. The first segment of the show is called The Basics. All right, Dalton. So we like to slide things in nice and easily with the basics. And essentially, moving forward, we want to be on the same page. So that's what we establish here. With that said, our first question is, what's your first musical memory? My first musical memory is listening to my uh, very Jamaican father uh, <laughs> bring home records from a record store on Eglinton Avenue West, which is a neighborhood in Toronto that is affectionately referred to as Little Jamaica. Uh, my parents came here uh, from Jamaica in the late 60s. And he used to, what he used to do with his disposable income, you know, you go to work, mm. you get your paycheck, is he used to buy records. Mm. So he would bring home vinyl pretty much every Friday, new slabs of vinyl. Now, this would be 45 inches, all right, because we're talking way back in the days, right? I'm yeah, generating yeah. I'm a little old school, you know what I mean? So 40, <laughs> 45 platters and a lot of, so roots reggae. So hearing Gregory Isaacs and hearing, you know, certainly things like Bob Marley, all that. I, my brain is like, a, I'm like a music encyclopedia because of that. Is that he used to bring home music every Friday for eons. So that's my first musical memory. My father bringing home records when I'm a little wee, tiny thing. Yeah. Having him play music really loud in my house. Wow. That's, that's almost, it almost became ritualistic in a sense because you, you, the Friday came along and you almost anticipate the new records. Did you, did you find yourself excluding yourself from other kinds of plans because you were looking forward to this? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, here's the thing with uh, a lot of children of immigrants, uh, your parents are going to, you know, they're going to flood you with a lot of things from their culture. You know, like I was born in, <laughs> yes. I was born in Toronto. Um, but, you know, strong Jamaican household, and they're going to say, hey, listen to this reggae, listen to this mento, listen to this ska music that we used to listen to back in the days in our time when we were your age. And you ignore much of it. You you dismiss it. You slough it off. You don't take it that seriously. So that's what I did. I wasn't hugely into reggae like that. I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's stuff from back home. Jamaican culture, Caribbean culture. I can't relate to it like that because I'm in Toronto where it's just right. like pop and rock and hip hop and other things, R&B. Um, so that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't readily embrace the reggae that much. It's only when I got older now when I'm like, reggae reigns supreme, <laughs> right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Not to go onto more of my story, but I'm actually from the Caribbean and I do see a lot of crossover here with the, the cultural um, exchange. It's very cool. And I like to see how later on in life, you were able to establish a deeper appreciation for what was happening at that time when you were younger. Yeah, I mean, I, can I tell you something too? I'll tell you a snitch, uh, uh, just a tidbit. Um, in Jamaica, my mother now, sorry, because I can't leave her out of this. My mother, she used to play country and Western, right? So country oh. music, 24-7, okay? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people don't know this, but Jamaicans are like hardcore country music fans. Like hardcore. Come okay? on. So I know, <laughs> so as far as country music, um, I have all of that Conway Twitty and uh, you know, uh, Dolly part, like what I have that all in my brain too. Cause my mother, you know, in Jamaica, they listen to a lot of country music. Wow. So I, so I know the history of country music. It's in my brain as well. In addition to reggae. It's weird. Right. So all of this, hist all of this history and all of this experience, do you find 
obviously very much influenced yourself on your early life. Did this influence how you approached your music career? I would say yes. Um, I would say because I learned so much about different musics, varying music forms from my parents, firstly, um, and I picked a lot of it up through osmosis, right? So it's not like I'm sitting there saying, hey, I want to listen to, um, you know, Conway Twitty records like 24-7. <laughs> um, but it just happened that way. And then, yeah, and then you pick it up and then, you know, Fast forward to that same neighborhood, Eglinton Avenue West, which we're going to get into a little later on. But For sure. that's where some of the first record stores in Toronto, in Toronto music history, they end up there on Eglinton as far as uh, black music. All right. So Caribbean immigrants that came here in the 70s and the 60s, even into the early 80s, when they wanted to find Calypso music, reggae music, hip hop, R&B, slow jams, they would head to Eglinton Avenue West to the few record stores that were out on Eglinton. So because I grew up out there, I sort of grew up almost like in a record store. Okay, right. so that's where the encyclopedic knowledge of music comes from. It's hanging out in record stores when I'm a little wee thing. Right. Absorbing everything. Direct result of your environment. That's very cool. Being in that environment from such a young age, what was the first lesson that the industry has taught you? First industry lessons taught me, um, I, I mean, this is actually not a good story. I mean, a weird story, but like, you know, as far as like bootleg and bootlegging records. Um, yeah. I mean, there was some activity happening in and around, um, you know, uh, back then, um, because we had heard that there was some scandal and controversy tied to, you know, like there's, it's kind of the, the equivalent of like burning CDs um, or dubbing cassettes. Like, you know, if you buy a cassette tape and then you like rip it, you you dub it um, yeah. or you know, rip a CD. Like I go, I go to the HMV or Tower Records, I buy a CD from The Roots or, you know, some group you like, and then I rip it for my friends. So yeah. I, so I was hip to some of those things. Let's just put it that way. Like back then, there was some stuff going on in the, in the hood um, tied to that. Um, so, you know, as far as bootlegging, you know, like that's a big thing. It's, it's a, it was yeah. a driver. I mean, it's a driver. And this is not specific to, um, you know, the black music experience. I've seen that, uh, you know, the indie rock experience, so-called indie rock experience. I've seen the pop. So I've seen a lot of that as far as how people, I guess, kind of use technology, you know, um, to kind of duplicate and move music the way it needs to get moved you know so yeah interesting yeah yeah cool and i want to ask what first are you pursuing but i also don't want to dive fully into the program at ryerson quite yet so is there anything that you're doing that is a first that is very novel to you that you are currently working on yeah absolutely i mean my company um so just dalton higgins pr it's been around the last decade and, uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to work, uh, you know, as you've mentioned, just a bunch of major acts, you know, global acts, never mind Canadian acts. So, for example, my week this week involved, um, there's a rapper out of the UK, out of uh, London, England. His name is Giggs. All right. So a lot of oh. people. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people know Giggs from, you know, his work, obviously from his work out there. Some fantastic yeah. uh, hip hop, you know, rap music or and attached to the grime scene. But he also um, is on Drake's album, you know, so Drake is arguably the most popular, you know, artist on the planet. He and right. the weekend, and people know his tra his work with Drake, you know, KMT. He's been featured on Drake's record. So anyways, um, I'm doing a publicity plan for him uh, in Canada. So we had him doing a bunch of interviews a couple of days ago. Right. So that's awesome. So that's kind of like my day to day. And then people that are into reggae or dance hall, Buju Bantan, mm. on the 25th anniversary of uh, his, his release called Till Shiloh. So lining up a bunch of interviews for that. So yeah, so I work with a lot of world-class artists from around the planet uh, to include Canadian acts, of course, you know, and yeah. we're just getting the word out on there about their art, about their artistic output, musical output. That's fascinating. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Moving swiftly forward, we've got our next segment. Pow! What's your take? Dalton, in What's Your Take, I'm going to be throwing three semi-ridiculous perspectives at you, and ultimately, I just want your opinion so that we can hash this out. Sound good? Of course. Perfect. All right. Most people don't realize the power of words. What's your take on that? Yeah, they don't. Words can uh, hurt, inflame, insult, degrade. Um, th so they don't. Words are powerful. Words carry power, for sure. More so than, than people would give credit to. They, they, there's a saying, an adage, adage. What is the adage? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words would never fail. What's that go like? Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Words are something like hurt. that. But yeah, yeah, totally. It's words it's, do hurt though. No words, words are do hurt. Very painful. And, and here's the thing: coming from because I'm, you know, I'm a black guy. Some people who are racialized, you know, come from different cultures. You know, ethnocultural groups. They 
so we grew up learning about like you know racial epithets and and you know what i mean so yep um so words do hurt you know so certain words you know they which is a whole other conversation but you know the n-word my parents generation obviously it's been remixed to meet the needs of the times but no they hurt it is very yes. they, they, they sting like a you know yeah totally and yeah. they really do leave long lasting impressions as well not only like being received from other ind individuals hearing these kinds of words but the words that you say to yourself they really they really propagate and then create the rest of your future if you will so this yeah, is where do. like they affirmations they want 100 percent. they leave scars every you you're gonna you always hear like a woman or someone you know you know uh, a racialized person, a woman, uh, someone or queer, and they're going to say, yeah, I got called this in grade two, you know, like 20 years ago. So it's obviously left some trauma and scarring, you know, so it words sticks. do matter. Yeah. Yeah. Did, do you find that your love of words, I'm not putting this in your mouth, because you've got a storied career in journalism, is is that what kind of drew you towards journalism? Words? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, if you talk to most, a lot of journalists and uh, authors, you know, book projects, they'll say, like I'm a, I'm a glorified or glamorized storyteller, you know, and then my vehicle or medium of choice just happens to be books. And before that, you know, obviously newspapers and magazines, because I used to write for, uh, you know, magazines in the U.S., the Source magazine for years, Vibe magazine. So, but yeah, they, they we're, we're, we're glorified storytellers. So we, we like telling stories. Now we do it vicariously through our subjects, you know, oftentimes, so, you know, you interview a celebrity or an actor, a musician, and they carry with them great stories. And then you're just trying to reframe those stories and, and make it suit the needs of, of your reading audience, you know, so your constituents. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is in an art in itself. It truly yes, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have your own, you got to have your own voice, your own spin, your own unique twist. But like, for example, your show, like it's totally, it, it's good. It's great because it's, you're doing <laughs> like, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've been interviewed a gazillion times. I, I got to keep it real. Clear. I mean, you yeah. just, that's Googleable by everybody. Um, and, and people, all the big media houses, yeah, there's every media house in Canada has interviewed me, right? I've done NPR, I've done, and I got to tell you, some of it, it's, it's, it's boring. It's, it's a snooze fest, bro. They're just asking me like the same sort of redundant, yep. very monotonous, repetitive, very cliche. This show is not cliche. It's not. Like you're just, you're coming at me from like, you know, like I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually having to think, you know, you're stimulating stuff. So that's great. That's so, awesome. Kudos, so kudos to you. That's amazing. Thank you for the feedback. That's, that's spectacular. Moving forward, so we keep you entertained. What got or what you get in the streets in terms of education versus formal education is different. What's your take? Yeah, it, it is different, but I think uh, uh, one doesn't necessarily need to uh, undermine the other. Uh, so some of the most, some of the smartest people I know, uh, like personally, in my personal opinion, as someone who's traveled uh, many parts of the globe and has kind of been been there, done that. Uh, I, yeah, most of the most smartest people I know, some of the most forward thinking, some of the most progressive people um, aren't very well, well educated in the formal sense, you know, don't have university degrees or didn't really go to college or might have gone to college and dropped out, you know, Kanye West college dropout, tried it for, you know, a year or two and they were out of yeah. there. Um, and I think that's because in many post-secondary institutions, um, free thinking is not rewarded, you know, it's, it's sort of frowned upon. And uh, sometimes you'll find, uh, t you know, TAs and professors, like when, if you challenge them and sort of make them look not so smart, uh, that reflects in your grades. And then that turns off some students and they just end up dropping out, you know? So, so some of the smartest, you know, people I know personally um, that can sort of dance circles around uh, a lot of, uh, you know, teachers in high school, professors, mm -hmm. um, they dropped out of college, um, didn't find it challenging enough or, or not that well-educated in a formal sense. And then on the flip side, others that, uh, you know, uh, advanced degrees, graduate programs, they've done PhDs, I don't find to be that clever, witty, insightful. That's my exactly. personal opinion. As someone who did go to university, right? Yeah. 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 And then what do you find? Um, some people will drop out of school and not go the formal path, and they result to be very, very successful people within the world of business. For example, Kanye, as you mentioned, do you respect that approach? Yeah, I, I think um, if you look at uh, if you do look at the hard evidence, you know, if you look at the facts, the hard facts, the stats, it's going to show you that most uh, moneyed entrepreneurs, you know, people that become multimillionaires, billionaires, for the most part, did not go to school. OK, that's just, so in the rap game. We want to go there. You know, Diddy, he went to Howard, dropped out, you know, Jay-Z did not go to like. And so these get billionaires. I'm talking people that make like, you know, very lucrative. Yeah, 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 yeah. That have generated, you know, that, uh, I would say large amounts of revenue, you know, revenue, uh, uh, 
generating a lot of revenue. So mm-hmm. I think, um, so me now personally, I, there's a bit of gray area. I like some parts of formula education because I like it, it, what it did. It gave me a bit of structure. So for example, as a writer, um, people say they call themselves, I'm a writer, I'm a poet. But when you sort of, uh, when you're able to learn some of the, some of the, we say like literary devices, for example, as a writer, you know, so uh, iambic pentameter, um, you know, metaphor, simile, you know, when you are able to apply some of those formal learning tactics and strategies, and you take that approach, and then you have this natural talent, you know, that is not nothing to do with school, book smarts, street smarts. And when you combine those two, you cannot be stopped, honestly, right? So um, yeah, so so that's why I said one doesn't necessarily have to undermine the other, because some people who are well educated, they frown upon people who aren't, and then people who are not so well educated for, in a formal sense, they kind of turn their nose at people who are. But uh, yeah. I like to occupy yeah. the, you know, the purgatory. The the two that maybe that's my thing to be honest is that yeah I sort of I can I can sit comfortably in certain uh, boardrooms and also on street corners you know that's kind of what I do. But that's where great power is lied. Not so much power like ah I'm so strong whatever, but like real influence because you're getting both sides and then you're communicating to both sides as well, which is yeah yeah I, yeah I have to. I have yeah. to. I find it extremely boring, you know, if I was just occupying this one, you know, we talk about issues around class and, and you know, gender, race, uh, sexuality, and just this idea of like staying stuck. Like if I'm living in this neighborhood where the one percenters live and th- those, these are the only people I know and see, like mm. that's boring to me. That's just dull yeah. and uninteresting to me. So I like to see all sides of the track. You know, yeah, that's it's what not informs real. my art. Yeah, no, totally. It's what informs my art, my day to day, my relationships with people relationship with my family. Yeah. I, I, I like to see the full circle of 360. You know? That's awesome. And what about for your mentees? You're saying that you have a whole bunch already. Uh, yeah. Do you generally steer them towards formal education away from it? Or is that just depends on them? Yeah, it is. A, I'd say it's a case by case situation, but I'm big on uh, learning, you know, through experience, like experiential education. So it's yeah. one thing, thing for me to sit here and say, Hey, um, you know, this is how, this is what it's like in Brooklyn, or this was like in Melbourne, Australia, but I'm just like, Hey, save up some money, take a, you know, New York is a one hour flight and go hang out in Brooklyn for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I, I like the experiential learning and that's the other thing too. I think travel, one thing I've learned having traveled a lot is that, that, that's, that's the real education. You know, it's one thing to sit here and kind of be like, uh, you know, learning about Germany or West Germany. And then it's another thing to actually be there and hang out for a couple of weeks, you know, and then get to mingle with the people, do business there. That's the real learning. You know what I mean? You can't learn that in a textbook. You know, let's put it that way. Not even over a Zoom call. Not, not even, even over a Zoom, Zoom call. call. No, it's not I'm the sorry. same. No. It's, it's, yeah, it's not the same. All right. What's your take on this? Hip hop is this generation's folk music. Uh, yes, I, I would say it is um, because it's something that's uh, coming from the ground up. It's a bottom up culture. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, it's, hip hop culture is something that has been democratized, you know, like, so the, the barriers to entry to rap music, to produce rap music are so low, you know, it's not about like, if you study, for example, classical music, let's say, you know, or, or, or opera, you know, you go to the, uh, you know, Toronto, Toronto Symphony Orchestra, uh, Canadian opera company. Um, there, there's just so many fees and a ton of bureaucracy attached to that as far as gaining entry. So what it mean, means is, you know, you have to study, you know, formally study for many years and go through this series of steps. Um, whereas um, with rap music, it's just having uh, being, you know, smart, witty, clever, insightful um, into very much into you know, like poetry, you know, street poetry, poetry in general. Um, so, yeah, so it is very much folk art, I, I think, you know, now, now the one thing, too, is that it's also super futuristic, right? So it's kind of a, it, it's in the grain. It's a, it's, a, it's a leading edge, cutting edge type of music form. Um, that, that's always pointing towards the future, you know, and it's always uh, putting a mirror to reality, you know, unlike other music forms. That's why I like it. That's why I like it. Like rappers are the first people that are going to be like, hey, if the uh, administration, let's say your mayor is, is lousy, you live in a city and your mayor is, is absolutely like god awful, like a rapper is going to rap about that before anyone, you know, they, they put a mirror to reality, you know. And they're going to talk about some of the more inflammatory aspects of society as well, as well as celebratory aspects. Right. Yeah. Difficult conversations as well. Yeah. Why? As a, as because we're going on the futuristic approach, but also a reflection on society. Why do you think hip hop transferred from poetic beauty to trashy trap? Yeah, <laughs> or when I, did yeah, this happen? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a we talk about the co-optation and the appropriation of the culture. So one, if we peel back the layers of the proverbial onion a bit and 
if we look at the record companies, like, so, you know, because the, the blame is not always, you know, certainly always placed on the artists, but the record companies that are signing this. So, you see, you're going to tell me now, um, how do we, as far as accountability, like, if, if an artist comes to you and is and is a sexist, misogynist, um, and it's just a junk, like, the you know, but you're signing it to multi-million dollar record deals, I mean, clearly there are a bunch of other, uh, you know, players involved that are, that are uh, you know, participating in this culture that are co-signing this that are funding it they're funding the misogyny they're funding the sexism you know so and then also too from a media standpoint me being a you know sort of semi-retired journalist but uh you know working in pr the last 10 years my own company it's just like i also too um am uh, i get it's a bit outrage you know like how the stuff that gets picked up is sometimes oftentimes the most inflammatory material so so for example if i service an artist that is doing you know is very much into class consciousness as an activist is talking about environmental issues many media outlets don't give a crap they couldn't care less but if i submit the next day an artist that is just a degrading women and uh super into you know like mass uh you know like capitalism and uh, just materialism materialist and just a cliche a caricature um it's going to get picked up immediately and shared widely online right so i find so there's just a lot of hypocrisy as far as the record companies uh, mainstream media, the types of things they choose to air and sign and co-sign and fund and support. It's backwards. Super backwards. Can we argue that people make it popular like this, or is it the labels that kind of influenced it and then feed us this? I would say we are all complicit. I would say I would blame the the fans, the audiences. Like if you're streaming something, if you're streaming a song on Spotify or Apple or wherever, you know, title, and it's like super sexist, like yeah, so you're just feeding the monster. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, you're not that progressive and you're not anti-sexism, anti-misogyny. Yeah. You're just screaming it like every day, right? You're funding it. Yeah, and you're blasting it into your head. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, and then also too, yeah, fans are complicit and then also the artists themselves too. I'm not here to let let them off the hook. Because if you're going to write songs like this, like what were you thinking? <laughs> like this offensive garbage, right? Yeah, and that's, I like to tie it back to the words. The The words are so powerful. You're choosing these words to express your emotion and other people are going to pick up on this and then just drill it into their heads. Sooner or later, they're going to be thinking like this and it really does affect societal change in the long run. It has oh, the potential of doing so at least. Oh, no, it does. And a lot of, I mean, if we look at uh, you know people that give speeches and great orators, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, Angela Davis, Malcolm X, uh, Marcus Garvey, like words, it's their words that moved me and compelled me to do some of the work I do, right? So that just, uh, so I love reading great essays and stuff. Essayists, James Baldwin, Ralph Ellison. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Brian Fanon. Like that stuff I've, something I read in high school and university. That's what sort of shaped me to become the person I am. That's super. Have you ever had a mentee or an artist submission where you were honest about them, uh, about how negative their, their content was? Yeah, yeah. I pride myself on my ability to kind of be very objective, you know, like journalists are supposed to be in theory and, you know, on paper. Uh, so be very objective, very neutral, very unbiased, nonpartisan. That's kind of how I, you know, how I judge and view everything. That's my point of view. So I'm very much like a journalist that way. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm never here to paint pretty pictures or to, you know, like a yes person. That's not me. I'm just going to call it as I see it, you know, and, 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 and there's an audience for that. I think that's why people buy my books and uh, follow me on socials is I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to really, you know what I mean? Put a mirror to reality. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that's what the Kendrick post is. I'm kind of saying, you, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're an artist that we really, they really, you inspire us as, as uh, publicists and writers and say, can you please come out with some new material, please? You know? Yeah. Do you think there's a reason why the culture shifted into accepting this kind of content as opposed to what, Kendrick was putting out in the past and previous, you know, real nice artists? Yeah, I think there's a multi, multi-generational disconnect. Um, I find that in, uh, in hip hop culture, you know, once you, once you're like, you know, over 28, um, you get written off into the dustbins of history, you know, like you're not, whereas in other music cultures, you know, rock, like the, like OG culture, you know, like I think there's a lot of information sharing that be, can be happening over generations. So people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s can be sharing information to help grow the culture because the culture needs to, needs to evolve, you know, like, like anything else. But I think that that's one thing that I would, uh, that's my criticism of uh, hip hop culture is uh, like the ageism or something, right? Where it's just like, you'll see, uh, you know, 21 year old rapper or producer trying to reinvent the wheel, which, which you should do. That's what you do when you're 20, you know? But uh, at the same time, yeah, but there are just the, all these reservoirs of information that, you know, information that can be gleaned from people who have been there and done that. So it's just like, why Absolutely. not have those uh, 
resources. You know? Yeah. And even if you do refine something that has been done, you add your own personality and, and your character to it. It becomes yours. Like, don't just plagiarize through and through. Obviously not. But we're all yeah. influenced by one another. Even the artists back then had their influences that they drew from. So it's, it's, yeah. there, there, there is a heavy point there. Yeah. But Very even, cool. and they want to make, the other thing too is timeless music. Like, you want to make timeless anthem songs, you know? So I find, again, now, uh, some of the songs I, you know, quite enjoy or I'll listen to now, but I'm not going to be listening to it like a year from now. Whereas when you grow up uh, having consumed, you know, Prince and Michael Jackson and like some like real musicians, right? Genuine, the genuine artistry. It's very tough to kind of fast forward to now and be like, I know I'm not going to be listening to, uh, you know, Migos uh, two years from now. <laughs> I'm yeah, just saying, like, example, I like yeah. their songs, yeah. I like, like Quavo, but I'm not going to, it's not going to be some Michael Jackson back, you know, or two decades, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Do you think there is an artist today that will have that effect? In hip hop, right. do you think that's Drake? Yeah, there's a well. Yeah, I think Drake is one of those for sure. Um, I would say even in R and B, like Daniel Caesar, like he wrote. Yeah. There's like three songs on his debut album that I think are timeless anthems, right? Like that. That's just what it is. That he's going to be collecting royalty checks like forever. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. Daniel Caesar, you know that's yeah, yeah. that yeah. first album. Yeah, there's stuff on there. It's timeless. Yeah, that's super cool. And then from publishing, or sorry, PR to writing or authoring several books. Wow, that was a struggle of words. From uh, PR to authoring six different books. I'll just mention them really quick, the titles. But um, I want to know which one was your favorite and kind of a little bit of backstory from that. So we've got Rap and Roll. We've got Far From Over, which is the first biography of superstar rapper Drake. We've got Fatherhood 4.0. We've got Hip Hop World. We've got Hip Hop. And we also have Much Master T. So which of those was your favorite? Which was my favorite? Yeah, that's like asking me like who who's my favorite child. child. Or something, you know? like, yeah, see what I, mean? like, I had a feeling it's a difficult question. That's right. I love them all. I love them all greatly. You know, um, no, I'm being difficult, but um, but I, no, but what I would say is um, a, as far as the most some of the most fun books. I mean, certainly you know, Hip Hop World is a, is a fun one and it's a bestseller um, because and it's gotten you know some award nominations is because uh, it's so I was able to sort of compile that information that I'd gleaned from traveling different parts of the globe. And uh, and sort of capture that in book form, you know. So when you're hanging out, for example, in you know, in, I don't know, in Germany, Essen, in Germany, and you hook up with you know hip hoppers there, and you know, so that that's interesting to me. Or in Paris, France, and you know, so hip hop world is a, a fun book because it, it involved, uh, you know, it's like globalization. You know, seeing what the hip hop scene looks like uh, globally, and then the Drake book is like that's a really fun book, man. That's a book I I implore everybody to go read. Uh, it's not so much about being like a you don't even need to be into his music or OBO, but it just sort of talks about his, uh, his story, you know, his backstory, his, his narrative. It's just, it's fascinating. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so even, even like somebody like, you know, Prince for, you know, like he, he, it's just, he connects to so many things that people may or may not know. Like his uncle is, um, you know, is, is, you know, Prince's was his mentor. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Drake's uncle. Yeah. Prince used to mentor his uncle. You know what I mean? It's just like all this weird, like it's a, and then we also know, you know, he's bi, you know, he's uh, biracial, and just the whole story there, being, uh, you know, uh, black and Jewish, you know, kind of thing. Like he's raised by his Caucasian Jewish mother, and his father from down south, the American South, African American, and so his story, you know, is just fast. It's kind of fascinating. So that that's a fun project for sure. That's awesome. I, I, it's unfortunate that I have to admit this, but I came across you too recently to have read any of your books so far. I do plan on reading them. Which would you recommend I start with? I do plan on with. reading all of them, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. where do I start? Yeah, it might be, yeah, it might be hip hop world um, because hip hop world too, I sort of go into some of the issues. I talk a bit about uh, the usage of the N word. Uh, so I talk about things that are, I, I think are, you know, might be slightly degrading the culture and, uh, and I, and I really get into it. It's a real, I take a real cross section of, of hip hop culture. So we talk about things, you know, gender, about, um, you know, the queer community's involvement. I talk about, you know, the, how different cultures interact with, you know, like meaning, you know, um, yeah. Caucasian, white rapper, like I, I really go in, you know, and it's a really short read. Um, and, and they're they're available at libraries too. Like I don't care about royalty checks and stuff like that. They're available at like, you know, you can find them in the library system, right? Like for example, in Toronto, like they're every library, all these books, right? So just go take it out the library and, and it costs you nothing. I love libraries by the way, right? Because yeah, you can get, information from everywhere and it costs you nothing you know what i mean so it's just yeah. like how could you how could you despise or hate that free access to global information it's yeah it's 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 a funny funny reason to hate do you find do you, that you ever get backlash from the black 
community or black culture having fierce opinions about the n-word or or degrading content uh, no, I, no, I don't, um, because the community itself, um, you know, without the support of the Black community, um, I, I would not be here or me, you know, um, because I sort of write from a very, uh, you know, like when we all develop our own voice and mine, it's a, there's some cultural specificity, you know, it's kind of like I'm talking, my point of view is very distinct and it's very much into the preservation and the nurturing and the support of, of you know, of Black community members in general. Uh, black uh, musicians in particular. Uh, I, I think it's very important that we support young black musicians and young black creatives in general. Um, you can be, you know, multidisciplinary. You, you do theater, you do film, you do visual art, um, literature, you write, it doesn't matter, but uh, black artists really need support. This is before the hashtags and the black squares and all that. Is I, I'm, I'm very a strong believer that, you know, young black emerging, uh, burgeoning talents need to be supported at all levels, you know? And the reason I say that is because even in Canada um, with the... Uh, uh, you know, anti-black racism sort of, uh, you, you, it cuts across, it reigns supreme, you see it everywhere, I see it in my day-to-day -day existence, so I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, despite, you can be super accomplished and have made a lot of money, and you buck up into anti-black racism daily, you know, in, in a city, in a country like Canada, so I would say, um, yeah, so that's why I, you know, I'm sort of framing it in that, that's my frame, you know, like, that's my point of view, is that you have to support uh, black people, because sometimes it's, it's hard when you grow up in a country like Canada, and you're being told, you know, you have to work 10 times as hard like like me as a black guy you're going to tell me i have to work 10 times as hard as this white guy who who is maybe um you know has half the talent of me like it's ridiculous it's just the message that i'm sending is just to, or to get half the results i have to work 10 times as hard as the white guy to get half the results like what the hell is that that's just foolishness you know what i mean so yeah. it's funny how that works and and 10 times as hard more talent and maybe it's just because of your name the name gave it away, and they don't want to even give you the chance. It happens like that too sometimes. It's unfortunate. Oh, there's a bunch. Oh, oh, there's a, there's been there's been a lot written on that. You know, if your name is an ethnic sounding name or sounds that it's tied to Black or African cultures, like you're not getting interviews. So you, yeah. you submit the same resume. There's a lot been written about that. Like if you and I submitted the same resume, and and you know you have a name that's very you know that's tied to you know European Whatever culture, else, or different, African. Yeah. yeah, I don't get called back. You do. It's just like so. There, there you go. What more else do you need to read? You know? Yes, 100%. It's uh, it's happening, but thank you for the work that you're doing in, in terms of bringing lights to this. We've got our next segment. Our final segment is called Clear the Air. <laughs> He's grumpy. He's probably napping or something in the background there. Grumpy in Clear the guy. Air. Guilty. Grumpy sound guy. In Clear the Air, we're going to be throwing some topics in the industry or across the board that I just want some uh, some clearing of the air, for lack of better terms. That work with you? I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I, I spend most of my waking hours clearing the air. So I clearing mean, this, the is, air. this falls Natural. neatly. Oh, oh. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we do have a guest question. One of our fans asked you a question, so I'm just going to pull that up real quick. Hey, this is Jim from 509 School of Hip Hop. I'm curious to know about your support system, having accomplished uh, all that you have. Um, do you currently have a mentor or have you worked with a mentor in the past? Like, who were they? I'm curious to know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that's a great question. Um, and I would say that uh, my career would not have progressed in the way it did if I didn't have a mentor. Okay. So if I'm being Dalton Higgins and trying to maneuver myself through the, the music industry, the publishing industry, PR, without mentorship, I'm falling flat on my face. Um, so that kind of goes back to my earlier point around having some people around you that can share elderly sage wisdom. Um, those are the people that usually end up taking off, you know? So if you look at even, uh, yeah, you know, the Jay-Z's of the world, the Kanye West, if you look, if you dig a little, you know, deep enough, you're going to find that they all had mentors who kind of taught them the tricks of the trade, so to speak. So I've had a bunch of people like that. Um, the reason I, you know, even as far as generating revenue, making money, you know what I mean? Because this is a capitalist society. So you have to understand how to generate revenue uh, to, to pay your bills. Um, yeah, I've had some great people in my life. You know what I mean, like Clifton Joseph, he used to work out at the CBC, um, hosting a couple of shows there. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he basically told me 20 years ago, all the, the tricks of the trade, you know, how to deal with media when it comes to getting on air, off air, uh, pitching stories, getting paid. He taught me some tricks. All right. Some things that I right. passed down that I passed down to this day. Yeah. So even writers and stuff like that. Um, some people told me, man, you have to know your worth. You know, that's something I heard like uh, when I started writing, you know, they said, know your worth. Don't give away your art for free. 
So that's something that stuck with me since I was in from I was in university times. So I don't give away my art for free. So if you're coming to Dalton Higgins with a you have a plan or you want to approach me or something, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to cut a check. Um, but that's something I'd learned 20 years, 25 years ago, though, you see, from from the OGs. And you just implemented <laughs> that right away. I implemented it right away because my goodness. what what is what is the difficulty in you? Like if you if you feel your art is good, if you feel you have a good podcast, if you feel you're a good broadcaster, you're a good writer, you're a good uh, musician, your artist, if your art is that good, you should be getting paid for it. There should be some form of remuneration. Now, if you are feeling insecure and your art is, is not all that, then you can then you can work pro bono until you're blue in the face. But you're putting out, uh, you know, art with, uh, you know, high artistic integrity, you should be, receive some form of uh, remuneration. So th- it's, it's very simple. So I, from a young age, I was, I was, you know, cranking out some very good pieces, right? If I do say so myself, not to toot my own horn, but it's some pretty, you know, top flight writing. Uh, so I need to get paid. I'm not giving to you that to, for free. It's just not going to happen. And I carry that to this day. That's, it's fair. I mean, like if someone really wanted that piece of writing for free, they could go to the next person that would do it. That's right, exactly. And if you really want me, then you're going to pay for it, right? And if you're not that, <laughs> if you're not that into the art or my art, then keep it moving, you know, and get somebody some free, lesser, you know, some lesser talented person to submit an essay or a book. That's fine, you know. I'm okay with that. Yeah, Usain oh, Dilts has. No. <laughs> Usain Dilts got to move, you know. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. We spoke briefly how you're a multi-hyphenate polyglot, but at the core of it, you're a journalist at heart. However, you are so involved in many different projects. Do you ever find that you bite more off than you can chew? Clear the air on that. Yes, yes, I, I do. Um, I, I've had to learn over the years to say no um, because uh, there are all these tantalizing projects that tend to hover around me because I'm around a lot of interesting people in, in the city, in Toronto, in the city I live, right? And it's just like, so, so amazing, you know, amazing just artists are around me 24 seven ad nauseum. And it's very difficult when somebody is approaching you with this project. Uh, and it's just, it's something that it's going to have a really high ceiling and you know it, and you can predict and project that it's going to do quite well. And then not having enough bandwidth or the capacity to take it on, that stuff like kills you, you mm. know? So sometimes do I take on a little bit more than I can chew, bite more than I can chew? Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but I've learned to, you know, how, how to say no. You know, over the last number of years. Yeah. Beautiful. We're reaching the near the end. And I do want to touch on the professional music program at Ryerson. I've got a couple of smaller questions on there, but do you prefer if I read the description that I found? So like we got that spot on and then we talk about it. We could do that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. All right, so the professional music program at Ryerson. This is a one-of-a-kind program which is designed to let you tap into your passion for music and equip you with skills to thrive in the modern music industry. Develop your creative, develop your creativity and business savviness for careers in digital audio recording, live entertainment, entrepreneurship, and other roles across the music industry. The program exposes you to rich and diverse experiences, including music fundamentals, studio and live production, and the business of music. Located in the heart of the Canadian music industry, you will gain access to modern studios and facilities, as well as exciting internship possibilities with industry stakeholders and cutting-edge startups. That's the professional music program at Ryerson. Yeah. What is your role in that? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the reason I I took on that role as a, you know, as a professional, uh, you know, a music professional in residence is, um, you know, the program is the first of its kind in Canada. Okay. And uh, a lot, m- much of my career has sort of been built around um, embracing, you know, innovation and, uh, you know, people that are forward thinking, want to move things forward instead of staying stuck in the eighties. So, lo- so many aspects of the Canadian music industry feel to me stuck in the eighties. Um, and, you know, so, and that carries over into music education. Uh, as far as post-secondary institutions, you know, with all due respect, there are great programs out there in Canada and in Toronto in particular, but there's no other uh, university level program like this in Canada that focuses on all aspects of music. All right. So not just performance and production, but about entrepreneurship and about technology and about learning about streaming services, DSPs, like everything that's all encompassing. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that you know, the future of the music business involves having a very, you have to have a very strong entrepreneurial bent. Okay. Um, that that's my personal opinion. Um, so when you register in a program like this, that is truly uh, interdisciplinary like that, and it's diverse and unique. It's in Toronto too, which is great. We know Toronto is, you know, the, the most multicultural city on the planet it's by far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we're looking for it to be a magnet for talents from across Canada and, and, and the world, to be honest, um, that want to get a university level, uh, 
you know, degree program, right? I mean, you have programs out there where you do it, you know, a number of months or a year. This is like a four level, a four year uh, degree granting institution that you mm-hmm. get a degree in professional music, you know? So once you graduate from this program, um, you're going to be able to take on the Canadian music industry in ways that hadn't been seen, seen before. before, you know? So yeah, yeah so that's yeah. hugely important. I find that there are all of these jobs in the industry where one can sustain oneself and pay your rent, pay your mortgage, pay your car note. But a lot of young people, a lot of teens, early 20-somethings know, have no idea that these jobs and careers exist, right? So this is the type of, these are the types of things we want to focus in the music program. So for example, being a music presenter, when I say that to people, most young people, they have no idea what that is. This idea of being able to tour acts and book acts to play at major facilities and venues. So there's an actual job category attached to that and training attached to that. So, so these are the types of things, right? When we talk about even getting your music out there and being working at a DSP, right? Digital service provider, Spotify, Apple. There are so many jobs in these different areas of the music industry, but I, I get the sense and we get the sense as people on the advisory committee and, and some of the staffers and professors and TAs is just like, yeah, let's train people for these jobs that exist now and also train them for jobs that are gonna exist five years from now, right? We wanna be futurists or looking towards the future. What I find now in the Canadian music industry, it's a lot of, it's a very uh, cliquish and stuck in the 80s and it's not very diverse. It's, and, it's, and it's singularly focused. Like when you're a rapper, let's say you're doing so-called urban music in Canada. If you do rap or R&B or any electronic based music, um, what parts of the industry are there set, are set up for you in Canada? It's not a lot, you know? So, so we're gonna sort of take those energies and say, hey, um, in 2020, the biggest selling acts, it's like top five, it's all rap and R&B. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, right? But yeah, the top selling musics around the world, I don't mean in Canada or North America, it's just rap and R&B, right? So that's not open to debate and that's not arguable. You can just Google that right now and you're going to see Bad Bunny and J Balvin, Drake, Weekend. that's hip hop and R&B dominate music around the world. So what types of things are we doing in the music infrastructure to support those energies, to support that diversity, to support people perhaps that want to pursue careers in these, in these genres, you know, although this program is not genre specific, we do everything, but um, how do we support, you know, burgeoning talent that are into hip hop and want to produce, they want to be a music promoter, they want to start a, start a record company on their own, you know, get public funds, private funds, like how do we support these people? That's what the program's here for. It sounds like this is actually gearing people for life after university, which isn't typically what you're going to find in most academic programs. You're like very specialized to do something that you might not even get involved in after you finish your degree. However, it's so broad and so wide encompassing that 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 it sounds almost not like a safety net. You graduate from this program, you have a career. But if you do it appropriately, you should be established. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I'll tell you a story tied to travel. Um, so when I was hanging out in Copenhagen, uh, so I've been to uh, Copenhagen a couple times for uh, an event called the World Music Expo, where world uh, people that work in the music industry in different capacities they come to uh, Copenhagen in this in this case. It's a traveling, rotating thing, so it's been held in Spain and Germany, and I've been to it in different cities. But in Copenhagen, at the university level, um, for one, when we talk about forward-thinking uh, cultures and communities. Uh, at the university level, they don't really offer programs or courses of study unless it directly ties to receiving gainful employment, okay? So they're not going to offer, like, you know, do like, hey, we're going to do a a chemical electrical engineering program, and then you graduate and there's no jobs in that area. They don't do that in Copenhagen. Everything that you find at the college and university level is things so that you can actually get a job, or there's no point learning it, okay? Um, It's the reason why, I guess, Oprah Winfrey, you know, she used to always talk about how Copenhagen is, you know, that's her favorite place in the world, and I got to see a bit, bit why, you know? They have a really great green strategy. Uh, when you get off the airport, you see like wind turbines everywhere. Um, uh, university is free, by the way, uh, so it's super accessible. Um, and and people ride a lot. You know, they ride bikes. You know, they as far as the gas, you know, emissions. Like everybody's riding everywhere. You see women going to the bar uh, with high heels and ride. Everybody's riding. You know, what? so yeah, it's just fantastic. But anyways, back to as far as industry, it it is hugely important that uh, that we at Ryerson University, the professional music program. And in my capacity as a music professional residence that we're able to cut, you know, connect a graduates of the program, like the first cohort are going to graduate in four years, um, that they're able to connect to the partnerships, the partnerships that we have, right? Because the program has partnerships with Canada's leading music and entertainment organizations. You know what I mean? Like record labels, artist representation, live event producers. Um, we were, we're pretty well stocked there. 
Like we have great support from the city of Toronto and music executives. So that's the plan that in four years we can connect our graduating class, first graduate class, to these leading music and media operatives. Okay, that that's the end goal. You know. That's so cool. Even just hearing that, I'm super excited to see what the results will be. And and four years is only just the beginning, but I can only imagine how how excited and enthusiastic you must be about this whole experience. Oh, for sure. I like new things. I like new things. I like new shows. I like new, you know, so the newness yeah. of it all is, is super exciting and stimulating. It's spectacular. Very cool. Now we want to touch a little bit on the PR. For young professionals that may not know a whole lot about PR, can you describe what your company does for your clients? Absolutely. So if you're, uh, you know, Joe artist or Joe rapper or Josephine rapper, right? Um, some, some gender balance. Um, you know, so what you want to do, you want to be able to sort of maximize your, you know, so you put out some music, it can be a single, it can be a mixtape, it can be a full length album or an EP. Um, what you want to do is you, you know, what is the point of putting out uh, great music and art if the world doesn't know about it? Okay, so what we do is, uh, you know, in PR, public relations as a publicist, I'm tasked with getting your music out there to the outside world. Now, I do that vis-a-vis getting you uh, placements on television, you know, so, you know, when you watch Canadian television and some American television, um, getting my clients on television, getting them on radio, so commercial radio, right, private radio, also public radio. Um, We also get them as many newspapers and magazines as we can, right, so that when people are picking up newspapers and magazines, they can read about your art. And then there's a whole, we have a whole digital strategy, which involves, you know, you put out a song, we're going to get you uh, placed on a bunch of great websites, a bunch of great blogs, and also doing interviews with podcasts, great podcasts, like, you know, like yours, like podcasts and stuff, right? So, so that's what we do. So we have a sort of multi-tiered approach um, to getting our artists work out there. So if you're a rapper, you're a singer, songwriter, and you have this great piece of art, it's a single, and you want the world to know more about the single, why they should mess with it, why they should scream it. Uh, we're going to get you, um, you know, we don't guarantee, we don't like guarantee and say, Hey, every artist, we're going to get you doing all these big television shows, big radio shows, get you on the cover of newspapers, magazines, or on blogs. But, uh, but we do our darndest, you know, I have a lot of strong, uh, super strong relationships in the industry and I'm able to get my clients for the, you know, by and large, great placements. And then that drives people to go stream their music and buy their merchandise and buy concert tickets, you know, when society opens back up again. So that's how it goes. Or, or the, or the, here's the anecdote I'll share with you. I mean, if you, you can apply PR to anything in your life, never mind the arts and entertainment and, and sports industries. But um, if you're doing something really great, um, like let's say you have the best podcast or the best you know, show, uh, best Instagram live, best co- podcast in Canada, you know, but then nobody knows about it. Like what? It doesn't even matter that it's the best, you know, you people, you need to get it out there, get it into the media so people know that it exists and then they can see just how great it is. Right. So yeah. you can be closet podcaster and nobody knows what the hell you're doing. Or you can be like, I need a PR strategy so people can actually tune in, get my numbers up, get my socials up, get my streams up, get my page views up, that kind of thing. So that's what we do, right? Yeah, that, that's what we do. Yeah. We just amplify We just amplify what you're what you doing. Makes sense. And I'm curious to know, how does the financial side work? Are there retainers? Are there monthly fees? Is it billed to the labels of the artist? Or do you work with the artist or manager directly? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's case by case. And it's it's pretty much all of the above. Um, in some cases, I work with uh, major labels in Canada. And uh, so they pay me monthly. So what that means is I'm on retainer with them. So um, I receive a check from so and so major label every month to promote uh, their talents that fall underneath a certain umbrella, mostly electronic based music, you know, so I, I deal with a lot of that. Um, and I work with the major labels and then other cases with independent artists that get funding from places like Factor. Um, factor-funded artists, so they they'll have parked away in their budget, um, a PR budget and marketing. You know, so sometimes uh, we get paid that way, and then and then other ways. Um, what was the other thing you said? Yeah, we get paid in a multiplicity of, of ways. You know, but uh, it, it is lucrative if you know what you're doing. You know, 100% can be very very lucrative if you know what you're doing, um, and uh, and you have, yeah, you have the right setup, and you can actually and you can deliver. You know, a lot of it, a lot of the work now over the last five years for me is just referrals based. Like I don't need to look for any, I don't need to look for clients or work. It's just referrals based, right? If you do a good job on a project, people are just going to keep, keep, keep coming back for more. That's yeah. pretty much yeah. the last you know, five plus years. Like I don't need to, yeah, I, I'm just, yeah. I get, I get queries pretty much every day is what I'm saying. So I get musicians and people every day. Like there's not a day that goes by where I don't get a query. Somebody wanting PR representation, right? So yeah. All right. What measures do you promise the clients? Okay. So what do I promise? Well, we promise to basically, 
um, you know, I have a massive mailing lists um, of, you know, the aforementioned, uh, you know, television stations, uh, radio, public and private, uh, newspapers, magazines, blogs, podcasts. So my mailing list in itself, um, that's one part of what you're paying for, because I just have relationships that go run far and wide that run the gamut, you know, as far as a lot of like all the television shows that you watch on television or radio you know, stations or satellite radio, like I have connections to pretty much all of them. So being able to place your, your, you know, your song or get an interview with that blog, um, the likelihood of that happening is, is, is uh, quite super strong. That's awesome. Is there a certain threshold of success or building the client's fan base that you need to reach? Yeah, totally. I mean, how we measure success is um, certainly there's uh, more interest in the artist as far as streams, like people are actually checking out their music, streaming their music, watching their videos like on YouTube that are getting a lot of page views. Um, also things like, um, the ultimate measure is, is awards, you know, like you're getting nominated for awards, you know, the Juno awards, uh, could be Grammy awards, uh, Polaris prize that you're getting some sort of, you know, rewards there or SoCan award, you know, stuff like that. So the, or prison prize for if you do great videos. Yeah. So that's one of the measures is awards. So that's kind of even, it becomes part of our marketing too, is that I've worked with the yeah, Grammy award winning artists, uh, a bunch of Juno award winning artists, you know, Emmy award, like, you know, yeah. BET awards. Yeah. I've worked with a bunch, like pretty much like, you know, the Mercury prize. That's kind of like my calling, one of my calling cards, you know, that I've worked with people that won big awards. Yeah. All of the awards. So how good is Alan Raymond? Do you like his music? (laughs) Yeah. Alan Raymond, he's man, he's an interesting artist. Um, because Alan, uh, he kind of does, he's kind of like, while he's been attached to sort of major labels, he's very DIY, like indie mindset, the way he moves, the way he navigates the industry. So his story is just so fascinating because uh, um, he's not exactly a guy who likes doing a ton of media, to be honest. Um, you know, he's kind of reserved that way, to, you know, keep a bit of mystery happening. But but he's a guy that really built himself up from scratch, from the bottom up. Um, and he gets a lot of streams. Like he, he is kind of more like the future of the music industry. Because while other people are wanting to look cool on social media, on the gram, like I don't think he cares so much for that. He's more about that, like the actual business. So his, his streams on Spotify, like he kills a lot of artists, right? He gets a lot of streams and the other thing the thing that he does well is um as far as touring a live show so some acts that we run into an encounter and you probably see them yourself where they you know they record great music but they don't have a live show they don't have a very good live show so that means their ceiling is really low whereas alan he's on the opposite end of the spectrum where he's constantly touring constantly touring north america he's in the states all the time canada so that's kind of how you build your genuine authentic legitimate fan base is by touring Right, jumping in a van and saying, "Hey, I'm going to go play Saskatchewan. I'm going to play Manitoba. I'm going to play, you know, go to Arizona, go to Idaho. I'm going to go to Utah. I'm going to go to New York, Illinois." That's what he does. So that's how he's. And when you are, if you're able to impact, let's say even 50 people per show or 20, right? That's how you build this critical mass of followers. You know, so there's 50 people in Chicago that like you, 50 people in Salt Lake City, you know, and that's how you build your. So that's how he built his critical mass of followers across North America by touring. Whereas a lot of some acts, they don't have good live shows. They don't know how to put together a tour. They don't have booking agents. So, yeah. Interesting. So his approach is definitely probably the more difficult path to take because of having to physically be there. It's, it's not more difficult. It takes a real vision. You have to have a vision, you know? So yeah. he's, his vision is to have a live show. You have, he has okay. to have a good live concert. So, um, I, I, again, I would argue there are a lot of acts that aren't thinking that way. They're thinking that it's just, you know, through streams and through social media that people are going to mess with me. But um, the artists that have a higher ceiling, they have good live shows. So I've worked with some acts that have crazy live shows, and that's why they blew up. <laughs> because their shows, when 600 people in a room, you know, the mod club sell it out in Toronto, and it's just like people are j- like going nuts. Mosh pits, like, yeah, they have great live shows, you know? So yeah, that's the difference maker. Can you play live? Fair. How does your approach to PR differ with someone like Alan Raymond, who is more secretive cryptic brands, as opposed to someone like uh, KSI, who is really out there and wants to be seen? Yeah, totally. You have to be, uh, the word is super strategic, you know, Um, KSI, because he's known, you know, sort of branded YouTube, he's a YouTuber and all that. So with him, as he didn't want to do any interviews tied to uh, YouTubing culture, that kind of thing, he just wanted to be strictly like music media. Um, yeah, because he's like, okay, I'm already branded there, but people need to take me more seriously as a musician now, as a rapper, you know what I mean? And then and then with Alan Raymond, it's the same thing. Um, I think he's more selective and picky as to what media outlets he chooses to express himself through. So um, we've done some stuff with him, you know, like Billboard magazine. He enjoyed doing that. We've done a couple of fashion things with the magazine. 
um, and you know, even exclaim in Canada, but he's very more selective, I'd say. So some artists are very selective. They're not just gonna do, they're not just gonna do an interview because a, a podcast says, hey, we wanna interview Alan Raymond, they reply back to me. Uh, he's, he, he would decline a lot of those types of requests, right? He wants to do very specific looks, very specific media outlets he'll mess with and others he'll will just decline. We'll just respect, respectfully decline. Yeah, it's it's important to know what your goals are as an artist so that you can pursue that and make sure that you're not spending your time anywhere else. I want to know, how has it been working with they? There's been a big buzz around them lately, partly due to the, the PR strategy. What was that like? Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they are awesome. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, literally and figuratively, right? Yeah, they... I mean, yeah, they're just going to be one of those like R&B duos that people are going to be talking about like a year or two from now. And uh, and then they're going to say, oh, Dalton, OK, thank me later, man. Because I like they. um, Yeah, just as far as genuine like R&B, you know, for people that are into like the real stuff, like these guys can perform live as you, can, you see on social media. They can do live PAs and and they have, you know, just great collaborations, man, like Panache. They did they had a great single with her and, and, and then they're able to mix up sort of hip hop energies as well. Well, on their last record, they like Juicy J, Three Six Mafia and, you know. These guys are just, they, they're real performers, man. They're genuine, they're authentic, and, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're like a sleeper. They're one of my sort of sleeper client picks, you know? And, uh, and I do work with, a lot with, the, like, the, you know, the labels attached to them, right? Like Rock Nation and what have you. So they're a client of mine, right? So we're able to get some stuff out there. Island Records, Rock Nation, um, they're direct clients of mine, right? So that's how I end up working with some of these acts. Island and Rock Nation. Yeah. That's so cool. Last question. What happens when you have a PR issue with one of your clients? What happens first? Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I like to, you know, this whole idea around transparency, we like, I like, you know, checking in with my clients every so often or through their management. Um, and just, just, just to see how they're faring, how they're feeling about the output. Uh, do they feel they're getting picked up in the right places on the right blogs or the right podcasts requesting them for interviews? So we're always trying to, you know, check in and, uh, you know, we're, we're treating them almost like children, like our children, you know, like you become a family with some of your, a lot of your clients, you just end up becoming friends, you know what I mean? Like over time, because you've worked with them for, for quite, for so long. Um, so you, so you want to take care of them like you would your children or your, you know, your, your aunts, your nephews, your nieces. Like, yeah, you should, I, I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a being smug or, or cute as far as the whole treating like children. I mean, like this family, you know, you treat them as family. So yeah. So always a two way Dialogue, open flow, to a uh, for communication is very super key. Communication piece. Communication is very key. And what about bad press? How do you fix those images? Yeah, yeah. Well, they say you know any press is good press, right? So I think in this day and age, you know, if you get picked up by a tabloid, you know, or some something that is deemed uh, scandalous or controversial, um, that that tends to drive more traffic um, to to your site, to your to the gram, uh, and to your mm -hmm. Spotify, and you know so. In this day and age, and when I say bad, I mean bad. If it's something like, you know, again, we draw the line. Like if it's something dealing with, uh, you know, things that I'm bitterly opposed to, like, uh, you know, racism, sexism, and that kind of like, no, I won't tolerate that. Um, and in fact, I don't want or I can't have any clients like that, to be honest. I've had to turn down a number of clients that their, their material and the way they sort of uh, maneuver the industry, it's just not, uh, yeah, it's not very, it's not progressive enough for us. So we decline all kinds of things. Uh, big, big money things too, you know, like we get out, you know, big, big money offers, but it's just like, it doesn't fit my brand and kind of where I am in my life, you know? So yeah. So if you're like degrading uh, women 24 seven and that's your art, then, you know, go elsewhere. Like I'm not interested in that. Yeah. So you don't even start working with them if you, if you figure this out ahead of time, but have there been issues or times where you've had to drop clients because something super inappropriate happened after you started working with them? Yeah. No names um, nothing, necessary. Nothing, yeah, nothing too inappropriate has happened, but I, I would say that, let's just say that when, when some contracts expire, um, I'm happy to uh, <laughs> not renew uh, said contract. Uh, let's just put it that way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Not everyone deserves another contract. Dalton, thank you so much for this time. Your energy was fantastic. Do you have any final words that you would like to share with us? My final words? There are two words. Go produce. I like that so much. And where can our where can our listeners <laughs> and where can our listeners find you or any of the information that you've want people found? Yeah, totally. Just get me on socials. You know, like I have a, I have a bunch of pages, but you know, at my name Dalton Higgins and the number five. So Dalton Higgins five. Just get me on socials there. And if anybody has any questions tied to the industry or publishing or or just, or just want to talk, you know, or they're just feeling lonely during this pandemic and they just want to talk. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I, you don't do that. You know, I, I will strong, not encourage you to do that. 
But um, yeah, you can get me on social, so I'm, I'm pretty active on there. Yeah. That's awesome. Dalton Higgins 5, we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. Next, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in and sharing this time with us. Shout out to our grumpy sound guy for having some fun with us today. <laughs> Shout out to the Prevail Media Group. Without this facility, we could not make this happen. And mostly a biggest shout out and a lot of appreciation to you, Dalton Higgins. Thank you for joining us today. We out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you found any value in this episode and you want to learn more from our content, check out our website at goproduce.ca. If you're on Instagram, check out our handle at go.produce. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit download. If you're on Apple Music, leave a review. This will all help us grow our community. I'm Big Lou, and this is Go Produce. Go Produce.